When we met, you had nothing but contempt for the crumbling leadership of the Klingon Empire. The Kuvma sought to strengthen and unify the great houses. If he has succeeded in only this, it is cause for celebration. Your great houses are carving up Federation assets among their factions. A captured starbase bears the insignia of House de Gore, not of the Klingon Empire. Is that the kind of unity your messiah proclaimed? They think nothing of the collateral damage caused by their brutal attacks. They target civilians, hospitals, food convoys. They slaughter innocents and inspire terror across the quadrant. This is war, not a child's game with rules. We fight to preserve Klingon identity. No one is looking to destroy your culture. Our laws are founded in equality, freedom. The Kuvma taught us that the Federation cannot help itself. It seeks universal homogenization and assimilation. The Kuvma was an ignorant fool. And your people are moving closer and closer to my home planet. What are you looking for? More territory? Conditional surrender? I mean, your people won't even make demands. Why? How does this war end? It doesn't. Klingons have tasted your blood. Conquer us. Or we will never relent. Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and tonight we're going to be talking about the 14th and penultimate episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, which was titled The War Without, The War Within. It was written by Lisa Randolph and directed by David Solomon, and I'm thankful for people who with easy-to-pronounce names. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, joining me tonight, first and foremost, is the Admiral of Sim- Simply Syndicated. Rick, how are you, sir? I am here. Uh, I don't have anything clever to open with tonight, folks. It's been a rough <laughs> Monday. <laughs> and also with us, once again, is novelist and journalist and sci-fi connoisseur Christopher DeFilippis. How are you? <laughs> I'm you, a connoisseur sir? now, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been on your show a few times, so it's really upped my rating. So I'm, <laughs> right. I'm doing I'm doing much better than I thought. I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> okay, uh, John's not here. He may join us before the show is over. He may not. Uh, so we don't really have a plot summary, but I'm just I'm assuming that anyone that's listening to the episode has probably seen the episode and uh, and they know what happened. So what I'm going to do is uh, what we normally do. We'll just kind of go around the virtual circle and give this episode a thumbs up or thumbs down or a a general overall rating. So, Rick, what did you think of last night's episode? Uh, Well, first, I think we're a triangle tonight, not a circle. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it was okay. Uh, I mean, it was mostly a Basil Exposition episode, so, I mean, there were no holy crap moments. Um, But it was a good, solid bridge between where we were and where we're going. Uh, episode although i mean there were some great some great moments but this was one of the few episodes this season that at the end of it i was like oh wow yeah it was just kind of like all right 
we're we're there. Yeah, and I was kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say I was disappointed with the episode because I really liked the episode, but it was a lot slower than what I'm used to getting in a next to the last episode of season. Usually the next to the last episode is the episode where like real like stuff really happens, you know. Um, on The Walking Dead, that's when people die, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, Chris, what did you think? I'm going to go with you guys on this one. I guess, what, like a thumb sideways? It was... <laughs> it, it's funny because there are so many episodes from the season that I had so much to say about. And I'm like, oh, I wish I was on Sean's show. Oh, I wish I was talking to Rick about this. And here I am. And it's just like, oh, this is the one. All right. Well, um, <laughs> like you said, a uh, heaping helping of exposition, a lot of setup, not very action-packed but i i don't necessarily need that for good star trek i liked a lot of the character moments i thought there were like some really terrific character beats and i just wish i had cared about it a little more than i did so let's not say that it was bad it was just mm, it, it it didn't really ring that many bells for me it just really seemed like guess what you're gonna really have to wait till next week guys because we're setting this up like crazy and yeah. uh you know yeah. i hope they're they, you know they pay off and do something really big with it well that was my thought when the episode ended i turned to my wife and i said if they're going to do what they said they were going to do and wrap up the klingon war this season they're going to be cramming a whole lot of stuff into next week yeah i was kind of wondering if next week was going to be a regular length episode or if it was going to be a little longer you know because traditionally the uh the last episode of a star trek season is part one of a two-parter so where i'm i'm kind of hoping that they wrap things up and don't leave us with a giant cliffhanger just kind of give us a little cliffhanger <laughs> or something uh, like that can i can i quote john since he's not here a close hanger <laughs> yeah close <hanger. laughs> <There you go. laughs> but uh but yeah well, i don't think they're gonna leave you know i i i'm sure they will leave some things to tease us to make us you know to make people come back um, but I don't think they're going to do like a best of both worlds type of cliffhanger to us. Not in the first season. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that happening either. Um, mainly because everything about this season has been leading up to some kind of resolution of the Klingon war arc. And the fact that they're bringing it home in these last two episodes, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I'll, you know, it, it's not like we've had three seasons and holy shit, Picard has been assimilated, and Riker is yeah. firing on that Borg cube. Um, they, we had a lot more invested in those characters then. And I say we academically. I didn't watch Next Gen, so I didn't really see that until reruns after I saw Generations. But um, I, I can't see them successfully doing that in this series. I can see them laying some seeds, planting some seeds, maybe even pivoting into a completely new direction after the Klingon war arc is resolved in some fashion. But I don't think that we're going to have a cliffhanger on whether or not the war will end, kind of like we used to get on Deep Space Nine a lot too, you know, yeah. the yeah. the Jemadar massing and they're pouring out of the wormhole and holy shit, here we are. What are we going to do? Well, we'll see you in 6 months, people, you know. <laughs> yeah. I kind of liken it to what they do on The Flash or what they've done on The Flash for the past few seasons is they have a season-long arc that they wrap up in that finale and then in the last five minutes they introduce something else to uh, 
to to leave the cliffhanger. So I'm kind of hoping that they do something like that. That's why I said a like a soft cl- a soft cliffhanger, you know, where you, you wrap everything yeah. up and then you do another a cliffhanger that's about something completely different. Well, you know, you know but here's I, I I'm with you on that one, Sean. But I think sometimes the Flash does it almost like an add-on. As I yeah. said before, I hope that this one, the conclusion of the Klingon War, naturally pivots into some new storyline that we weren't expecting. And I'll be happy with something like that. I'm yeah. getting, we're going to get into uh, all the stuff that happened in the episode, but I do want to say, and this is, uh, I mean, we're we're getting into spoilers. If that's as far as they go with the Ash Vox storyline, I'm kind of disappointed. It just feels like it, like it just dropped, like the whole the whole thing was building up, and then and now it's just over, and it just, mm. it, you, you know what I mean. Well, do you, do you, <laughs> I, I, I felt that way. I thought that for all the buildup that they did for Vok to be quote dead yeah. this soon after the revelation was very abrupt. Now, you know that Laurel is canny and she's crafty. Yeah. I wonder if she just sort of put Vok back to sleep somehow. I, I, I don't know if that would be good writing or bad writing, but I just, I'm like you. I feel like I, I, we can't really be done with this already, can we? It feels like we are. I just, I'm, if we, if we are, I'm kind of disappointed in it because I, I was expecting, I was expecting Vok to kind of take over, maybe not permanently, but really take over for a little while and really cause some major problems. And and he didn't. He just kind of <laughs> went to <the> sick bay. <laughs> yeah. And let yeah. me, I'm, if, if I can just liken it to something that Ron Moore said about Seven, seven of Nine in Voyager, um, some interviews I read, when, when she came on, they basically made her look human within two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. And he said, she's a Borg. Why not keep her looking like a Borg? It's much more compelling because the crew will have to learn to deal with her as she is. But instead, they just wanted to make her Jerry Ryan. In this, Tyler was Vok. Vok was Tyler. Why shy away from that? Why not have him be both Vok and Tyler somehow? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe warring halves, maybe trying to come to terms within himself. But to just drop the Vok personality altogether, as you said, Sean, just seemed seemed abrupt and it seemed like a missed opportunity if that's in fact what they're doing, if they don't pull a switcheroo on us next week. Right. Yeah, because that, that I, I could understand, well, sorry, I'm not being very clear tonight. I could see Laurel maneuvering her way to get into sickbay to work on him, but then when she killed the Vok personality, that made no sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Unless she, you know, again, you know, how often has Laurel told the truth yet or done anything that was not multi-layered and, and worthy of a Benny Gesserit? Um, so maybe she did just put Vok to sleep and, uh, pretend to be upset because her, her death scream seemed kind of half-assed, but I couldn't tell if that was just because she couldn't open her mouth any wider in the makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, I would love it. it. Well, part of me is glad they didn't do the whole, well, he's pretending to be Ash, but he's still really Vok because that kind of storyline bugs me. Uh, it just makes me uncomfortable. Um, but that's just my own uh peccadillos that's you know neither here nor there from from a story perspective so i'm kind of i was kind of relieved when they're like okay he's back to ash again and now we have to deal with he has to deal with you know everyone uh 
either hating him or not. And the scene in the in uh, the mess hall, when I watched it a second time uh, about an hour ago, <laughs> uh, it, it, when when Tilly got up and went over to the table, I I actually got a little choked up. Um, it was like that was one of the t- well, okay, Tilly is just amazing. Her her character has been so wonderful and just keeps getting better. Uh, and the things she said to both Ash and uh, Burnham in this episode were some of the best moments of the show. I agree, but I found that to be a little bit weird. And and let me tell you why. Um, Vok slash Tyler killed somebody in cold blood. Maybe he didn't know he was doing it, but it was it was an act of violence against a, an innocent. Mm-hmm. And here he is. It's it's about ten minutes later, and the entire crew is say, hey, "Welcome back, yeah, oh, to poor you, whatever." And I, okay, that that's great. That that embraces sort of like the core philosophy of Star Trek. It's 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 I I, I like that. But you have Burnham. You know, I, I guess she mutineered, and she they're laying the war at her feet. Yet she is ostracized. She is an eternal outcast. Why? Because of the mutiny factor. I mean, where was that turn-the-other-cheek attitude at the beginning of the season? When Michael walked onto that bridge, she was nothing but a pariah. And even, I, I forget the helmsman, the, the, the uh, girl Detmer. with the tech, Detmer, looked at her with open hostility and hatred. Yeah. Yeah, she did. So, wh- I, I just found it really odd that Tyler's journey, if he is indeed, you know, only Tyler at this point, was so quick. That, that the turnaround was so quick and the acceptance and the love of, of the crew was back right there. Well, I, I kind of chalked it up to, you know, when Burnham came onto the Discovery, the, the war had been going on for six months. So, you know, the, the Discovery crew were not exactly the battle-hardened, uh, uh, traumatized people they are now, especially after their jaunt through the Mirror Universe so, you know, wartime tends to bring out the best and worst in people. And so I think everybody was perfectly fine with shunning Tyler until Tilly went, fuck this, and sat down with him. Uh, and then, you know, people sort of said, well, okay, if she can do it, you know, then maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, and I thought it, re- I thought it really fit her personality to do that. But but then uh, everybody in the entire mess hall starts gathering around the table. I was like, ah, that's that's a little strange. It kind of reminded me of a uh, scene from a high school movie or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean that Tilly would do that. I believe it, you know, because it fits her. I just don't know if I would believe that everybody in the in the entire mess hall would would start gathering around the table and laughing and cutting up and <laughs> everything like that. But yeah, but there was a powerful scene between uh, Vok, no, Tyler, and Stamets, and I yeah. don't think he's going to get that. I mean, Stamets is a dick to most people on his best day. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that Tyler is going to get any kind of accolades from him or any cheek turning, so to speak. But well, he it did was funny. Say, he yeah. did say that one that he did make one line. Stamets did make make one line there at the end where he said, "Maybe you are still human after all," which kind of tells me that Stamets knows. That it wasn't him that did it. He's just not ready to forgive him, you know. 
Or maybe he won't ever be, but I yeah, don't think yeah. I don't think I need to see that resolution. I don't especially think that's important no. to the story. Yeah. Okay, well, let's dig into the episode a little bit. So we'll start from the beginning. Saru got his feelings hurt because Michael didn't tell him about her dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a really weird thing for him to get mad about. He sh- he he should realize. Oh yeah, I probably don't want to know that they ate me <laughs> or that they ate a. Well, that that's not what he was upset about. He was yeah. upset because she told him that she didn't see any kelpians. Any kelpians at all? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I did see one on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Discovery is on auxiliary power because they they got damaged in that in that jump, and um, and Saru tells uh, Michael that Ash is alive, and he says he'd like to see how he reacts when he sees Michael, and she says, "Is that an order?" And he says, "No," so she says, "No, I don't, don't want to see him." <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the doctor. Which that is. Go ahead. The the whole dynamic between ash and burnham is beautiful uh you know we'll get into their scene later on later on but yeah you know when she when she said then no i'm not i'm not gonna do it it was one of the most real moments i think in star trek because n- nothing would have been more star trek than for her to prance into start into into sick bay and been like okay everything's all better now um which that would have been that would have been way too much yeah, well, she ha- she hasn't been there to see all of the turmoil that he's in. The last time that she saw him, he tried to kill her. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's what that's all that she can think about is you know that he he just tried to murder her. Um, mm-hmm. So the but the doctor tells Saru that as far as she can tell, there are no signs of Vok. Vok is is gone, but Ash is not human, and he's not Klingon. He's something else (laughs) yeah what does that mean i'm still very unclear as to how they transferred is it vok is it tyler is it half and half is it uh, from what from what tyler said they actually altered vok physically yes but then they talk about imprinting his personality onto tyler but i it, it it's it's almost like they don't know themselves they keep on referring to it both ways yeah i don't really think they want to define it <laughs> i was gonna just, say does anybody have a clear beat on this or is it, is, is it just me that's not really still not really understanding what exactly happened here they want to no, make I, it, they want to make it more than just we took his his mind and put him in this body because that's that's something you do in 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 old Star Trek. That's something you do in old cartoons in Gilligan's Island and stuff like that. You know, they want it to be more than that. So they're putting explanations out there. Sometimes the explanations kind of contradict themselves. But well, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, so that's that that's bad writing, right? Well, I think they're. I, I think it's more of a trying to. Well, if it's intentional. Uh, I think it's trying to point up the fact that there is a great deal of confusion about this. Uh, that's why they keep asking that. That's why, you know, when, when Saru was saying, we need to understand more about this. I, I was kind of like, well, didn't they already tell you exactly what they did? But, uh, apparently not. Um, well, they get that you know, explanation th- from Laurel and they don't, you don't know how truthful <laughs> she was being. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, uh, now my Skype on my computer is making noise. <laughs> <What the hell? laughs> 
<laughs> saying because you're saying hi to me. Ah, uh, jeez. Um, Skype is being very weird, folks. Uh, more so than usual. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I heard echoes of Arn Darvin in this episode. Yeah, the, I was uh, thinking the same thing, but maybe because I was just watching Troubled Tribble, so. <laughs> and Trials and Tribulations, and mm-hmm. there's a whole thing I want to get into later, but uh, let's, okay. let's stick to the topic at hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that maybe they kind of got themselves into a bit of a mess where they wanted to make the Klingons very, very alien, which they totally succeeded in, but then they needed one to be very, very human so that it could dovetail into the continuity that we know uh and then you know Arndar going from Kor to Arndarvin is not that big a leap going from Valk to Ash is a huge leap and I'm not sure that they were I don't think they're handling it as well as they wanted to but, but you I'm know, not it's, sh- it's it's a leap they didn't even have to make Enterprise filled in that gap pretty well I think so well, according to and and in this one they did specifically reference Jonathan Archer in the NX01. Yeah, they uh-huh. did. So you know Enterprise is still canon in this universe. Um what happens to the Klingons that look like humans because of the augment virus? My pet Targ wouldn't recognize me looking like this. Obviously yeah. there are Klingons in this in this version of reality that look like humans. Yeah. Because I, of I don't think we've uh, seen them yet. I it's just I know this is a lot of like deep inside fan baseball, and maybe <laughs> we're the only ones that care about it. But it's just oh no, we're not. <laughs> it's just so many contradictory things. It's and they keep saying no, no, we'll we'll address that and we'll get closer and we'll dovetail by season two. But it's just like, well, there's already things that you're not explaining or ignoring or retconning or so. How are you going to dovetail if you're just so openly retconning? I don't mind if you're retcon, retcon away. But don't say that you're going to be true to canon. I, I don't care specifically at this point in my fandom whether or not you're adhering to canon that strictly. As long as I'm entertained, I can always retcon it in my head. But mm-hmm. at the same time, why bring it up specifically and make it completely different but yet reference everything that came before? Well, I, I'm that I, I'm that impossible to please Star Trek fan. I just realized I'll just I'll, <laughs> I'll shut my mouth. <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, I used to I used to be the I, I used to be you, my son. <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't know. If, I, I think I'm older than you are, maybe by a bit. But um, uh, you know, if I if this was if this was happening 20 years ago, I would I would be one of the people just screaming, "Ah, this is bullshit! You can't possibly make this work." Um, but I've also, you know, I was one of the guys in 1986 who was like, Star Trek without Kirk and Spock? What, what is this foolishness? Yeah. Um, you know, and for two seasons, I sat on my high horse going, see, it's crap. Uh, but then I was also, by the end of season three, screaming at my TV, no, you can't leave us there. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've seen Star Trek reinvented with every new series. Uh, granted, this one is the most drastic, but... Not by that much, really, if you look at Enterprise. If you compare DS9 to Enterprise, or Voyager to Enterprise, um, you know, a lot of the arguments that we got about Enterprise we're getting about this show, and it's because it's a prequel, and, and, you know, people want the impossible. They want 
something that looks like what we got in 1966, but don't you dare make it look like it was in 1966. You're like, well, how the fuck are you supposed to win that argument? Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you, Rick, I used to be that guy, too, that, that, that just... <laughs> But, I mean, in the last few years, in the last three or four years, I just let it go because, honestly, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. Really, I'm going to get bent out of shape over this, and I still enjoy it equally. I mean, I, I love the fact that they're doing something new because I think that's what killed Star Trek on TV to begin with. It just became moribund because they weren't willing to do anything different than have the captain on the bridge doing an episode of the week. Yeah. And it needed to be shaken up somehow. So I'm right there. I, I, and I don't mind the aesthetic changes in this. I don't mind if they are breaking canon. It really doesn't bother me as long as the story is good. It's just that sometimes it's hard to juxtapose what we know with what they're showing, yet they're giving lip service to what we know, but still showing something different. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm, I'm intrigued as to if they're going to be able to pull off what they say they are going to. Um, and in the and, end, I think that's a standard they shouldn't have to hold themselves to as long as this show stands by itself as its own thing. And, you know, a coherent, consistently coherent internally. Yeah. Then I'm fine with it. As long as it sets up its own rules in its version of the Star Trek universe and sticks by them, I'm happy with that. But anyway. Because mm -hmm. I've, I've seen, I saw in this one, I, I get, as I was watching it uh, for the second time, something occurred to me because one of the things that does, and you know, and I'm, you know, I, and I, I've said this before, I'm the nerd that will argue warp theory all night. Uh, and that's the, a whole new the, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I I just did that. One. <laughs> I just guessed it on another show about ships, and uh, I got a, I got into the the bolts that hold the hull together. I just I I did a deep dive on that one, and it was fun. Um, but uh, it occurred to me because one of the things that that has been giving me trouble is the the appearance of the ships. The the ships are much more JJ than than what we're used to. And it just dawned on me, they've lost, what did they say, two-thirds of the fleet, something like that? Mm. So maybe what we're seeing is the setup for most of the ships with the, the rectangular nacelles and the, and the, the kind of weird yeah. look that we're not exactly used to seeing are going to be destroyed in this, in this war. And the new uh, cylindrical nacelles and, and smoother hulls and stuff is what's going to be the replacement fleet. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, the Constitution-class starships are out there because the Enterprise exists at this point. True, true. But. And they, that may be the state of the art, is those the, the look we're looking, we're used to. Um, maybe still, the... Mm, I, I get that, and it, but it's still hard. I, I, it, it's funny, it would be nice to know how many other Constitution-class vessels were in service contemporary to Pike's first five-year mission. Yeah, And then we'd get a sense of, uh, okay, when they say they destroyed two-thirds of the fleet, there have to be some Constitution-class ships and in, you know involved in that. They had, yeah, good point. I hadn't even thought of that, yeah. You know, yeah. so I mean, yeah, so you guys, I can really go into the weeds, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan's fan, I, you know, but again, if you think about that stuff too much, then you'll never enjoy anything ever again. So Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so Corn, Cornwall and Sarek beam on board the ship. And she takes control of the Discovery by phaser point. And uh, Sarek mind melds with Saru to find out if they are real. Since as far as they know, Discovery was destroyed nine months before. So we did all this speculation last week 
that the Discovery has been in the Prime Universe and causing all this trouble, and turns out they got destroyed as soon as they got there. Yeah, what does that say about Captain Killy? She must be a really shitty captain. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, that also tells me that if they had not jumped into the Mirror Universe, they probably would have been destroyed because they the, the, the ISS Discovery got the uh, the Klingon attack that um, that the Discovery was about to get. And, uh, and so, um, Oh yeah, good point. So they, uh, so I guess traveling to the mirror universe saved them. And, uh, but yeah, they said that the discovery was destroyed nine months ago. And she says that she saw the wreckage. She saw it happen, you know? So, so it definitely did happen. So yeah, the, the mirror discovery has not been in the prime universe causing problems and siding with the Klingons and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so well, I'm, I'm not surprised because a lot of people were saying, "Oh, the discovery, the the discovery is going to just be going ape shit," and the the mirror discovery didn't have the spore drive. Yeah. So she was no more badass than the other ship, uh, and especially if she came from a universe where the Klingons are kind of there, there's there's nothing to fear from them. Yeah anymore mm. she she may have just been like eh, Klingons who cares boom <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um did you guys notice the look that Sarek gave Michael when he realized that she he, he he thought she was dead she's been dead to him for the last nine months and then he's laying eyes on her and uh and it looked it broke his Vulcanness <laughs> because I, I saw I saw emotions come through. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that, and yeah, I saw I the beginning. Either. I saw the beginning of this episode four separate times before I was able to finally see the end. And I, I I'll have to look again. Maybe I'll have to watch it a fifth time. Yeah, there to was catch a, that. there was a well, moment where he was addressing the crew. He was addressing the bridge, or everybody on the bridge, but he was looking at Michael. You know, and you could tell in his the look that he was giving her. Hey, I thought you were dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know he was staring at her. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me that they that he thought that she was dead. That's mm -hmm. that's brilliant. It, yeah. It's, uh... Um. Okay, so the lady's name that plays Cornwall. What's her name again? I had it uh, just a second ago. It is Jane Brooke. Yes. She did an awesome job in this episode. Every scene that she oh. was in, I thought she was incredible. I love her more and more with with every performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 one thing that got me, I watched the episode twice. I didn't catch it the first time, but she said that uh, okay, so a person from our universe would not survive very long in the other universe, and then she said, "So my Gabriel is dead." You know, she which called, means he's not. Well, yeah, yeah, probably, but I, it, it, it caught me that she called him her Gabriel, you know. So, yeah, I mean, we know that they slept together and that they had a history, but obviously, she she has some very, very deep feelings for him. And uh, well, she wouldn't have come all the way out to the discovery if she didn't. Yeah, you know, true. she she doesn't wear her her heart her heart on her sleeve, but it was pretty well established that he was very important to her. Now, can I point out a little bit of a glitch in maybe some of the logic of the episode? It might be skipping ahead a bit, but since okay, we're yeah, talking about her finding the discovery after thinking it was destroyed, I saw it destroyed nine months ago. Um, later in the episode, they say there is no such thing as a mirror universe. We're going to quash that down because reasons. Um, 
you know, <laughs> you, you, we're putting it into a black bag and we're going to throw that black bag into a black hole and no one's ever heard of it. Understood. Um, if the discovery was destroyed nine months ago, wouldn't that be a matter of record? So where did the discovery come from all of a sudden? Now that it's back well, in the fleet. Well, I think they're 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 kind of relying on the in wartime reports can be inaccurate. Uh, I mean, they're certainly playing up on that with the whole George O thing. Um, yeah. So it could, you know, they could. But a whole shift. Well. Yeah. <laughs> the disc, uh, you know, it's it's all well. Because show. <laughs> well, we well, we also don't know how well known the discovery is. You know, at the beginning of the series, they were kind of intimating that it was sort of a black ops sort of test platform. Yeah. So it may not be a very widely known ship at all to begin with, which will cause problems for them later on down the road with this series if they keep that ship, which I don't see them destroying the Discovery and then changing the series' name. Right. Um, <laughs> that That's kind of something I've been I've been wrestling with about further seasons is, uh, you know, it it kind of feels like the discovery has been a classified thing all along, but you know, how far can you go with a classified ship? If you're going to have a, an ongoing series. Well, I guess time will tell. We'll see yeah. where they pivot to next week. Yeah. And they obviously have something in mind. I mean, you can't tell a show yeah. these days without having both season long arcs and series long, long arcs kind of spelled out. So, yeah. Yeah. I got to think that there is a season two planned or at least a rudimentary idea for a season three. A season, you know what I mean? So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they'll figure it out. Whether or not they do it to our satisfaction, well, that's, that's something else entirely. <laughs> yeah, <true>. <laughs> but uh, Cornwall fills in some gaps. So um, they didn't have the cloak-breaking tech that, uh, that they had developed before they you know, went to the mirror universe. So the Klingons were free to destroy planets and star bases and go on suicide missions and detonate themselves in space dock and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Sarek says that there's no, there's no clear Klingon leader. So essentially the Federation is fighting 24 houses independently. So none of the attacks are correlated to one another. It's just, hey, this side's attacking, now this side's attacking, now this side's attacking. And and it's really, you know, it, it's really depleting their resources. 20% of Federation space is now occupied. Uh, so she says they're going to take the Discovery to Starbase 1 to uh, and, and delete any record of the Mirror Universe. Uh, it says knowledge of it could cause problems in a war-torn uh, universe. So Starbase 1... We've heard of that before, right? That's that's close to Earth. Well, they said okay. it was 108 here's, here's, years from Earth, which is which is uh, which is not that close. It, well, but not it, relative well, in space terms. That's relatively close. It's, it's like still the within the solar system, but yeah. they showed it in orbit. <laughs> which was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that Earth? Maybe it was a terraformed Neptune. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Europa. That was Europa. That yeah. was oh, all right, I'll buy that. <laughs> but Stamets tells Cornwall he can't jump without spores, so they have to they have to use the warp drive and go all the way through enemy space to get to get there. And uh, and then Michael, which proves and, not to be a problem at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't run into any problems. They're like, oh, they're going to get attacked. Nope, they don't get attacked. <laughs> uh, Michael, I mean, the, the show could have done with at least one skirmish, right? It, so it would yeah. have been a perfect action drop right there. Well, to to, to have twenty uh, percent of the uh, 
Federation space taken over by Klingons, and we don't see any Klingons in this episode other than Laurel. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, when they get to Starbase One, wouldn't it be a little bit, I mean, just dramatically, to be there for like the last stand for Starbase One, watch right. it as the Klingons actually conquer it and realize that you can't do anything about it instead of just seeing a, a floating derelict. I, I guess you had um, Cornwall's moment there where she just basically lost it. Which and I, I Saru, love that they that they let yeah. her do that. Yeah, she yeah and Saru had to step in and say, get us the hell out of here, you know? Yeah. But it, it would have been nice for them to fly directly into the heart of a skirmish yeah, this without episode, even realizing it, you know? Yeah, this episode didn't have any like action scenes at all. It was just like we said, it, it was exposition. I don't know if they if they spent so much money on last week <laughs> that they had to take a break because they're planning on doing something big next week. Yeah, that's know. what I was hoping. I hope they're saving it all for the finale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh okay, so Michael introduces Cornwall to the Emperor and uh that's that's all I wrote down. <laughs> she just she meets <laughs> she meets the Emperor. So uh so yeah, so she's she proven once and for all that everything that they're saying about the mirror universe is true because obviously she knows Giorgio is is dead. Can can I let out uh, uh, one of my dirty little secrets about Discovery? Yeah, go ahead. I don't think that Giorgio is a compelling character at all. I think that uh, Michelle Yeoh plays her adequately. But there's nothing about the character that ever spoke to me. Nothing about Yeoh's performance that ever moved me. And the fact that now they have her in sort of the pseudo-campy villain role from the Mirror Universe, which everybody seems to adopt when they play a mirror universe version of themselves, it's not helping me like that character anymore. So the big twist at the end of this where, Oh, Giorgio is alive. It's not doing that much for me. I, I, I know Rick that you have repeatedly said how much you adore Michelle Yeoh and how much you adore the character that she's playing on this. But I have just found that she wholly failed to resonate with me in the first two episodes. And the fact that she's back does absolutely nothing for me as a fan. I, I hate to agree with you on this, but I do. Um, I, I loved her in the beginning. I loved Giorgio, Captain Giorgio. Um, Empress, Emperor Giorgio. Yeah. It leaves me cold. Um, I just, she just, it, it, right. I don't want this to sound, reductive or anything but it's it it's almost like a kitten trying to be fierce <laughs> i mean i know that michelle yo could kick my ass up one side and down the other i know she is a you know a, a, a very skilled martial artist uh you know uh, she's a a dancer you know very you know a, a very able physical actor but i just don't I don't buy the menace. That's exactly where I was going to uh, go with that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Does she convey? It's not reductive to say that she doesn't adequately portray a sense of menace on screen. Yeah. She just, to me, she doesn't. There doesn't seem to be any stakes in dealing with her as a menacing figure. Yeah, I haven't seen her do anything evil enough to, uh, other than that, other than the fidget spinner scene. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen her do anything evil enough to warrant the. Uh, what people say about her, you know, that she, that how, how evil she is, uh, 
she's doing a lot of mustache twirling <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think Michelle Yeoh is having a blast playing the character. <laughs> oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminds me of? Have either of y'all seen Dread, the the Carl Urban Judge Dread movie? Uh, Negative. I no. Ah, okay. Uh, Lena Headey played the the top villain in that one, and while she did a you know as you know she did a great job as Lena Headey always does, I spent most of the time wondering how is this person in this position of power over all of these incredibly much more badass people than she is kind of thing. Um, yeah, and and it's it's kind of this you know I I, I just don't. I don't accept the em- Emperor Giorgio as being someone who could have become Emperor of the Terran Empire. I believed Hoshi a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah, but also Hoshi had the firepower to back it up. and Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And I think you knew that character better, too. So it was fun to see that twist. Yeah. Which is yeah. the problem with the Mirror Universe in general. You know, going there in your first season, I think, is kind of a... It, not the best idea. Um, and from what I've heard, I think I mentioned this last week. Um, uh, um, oh, who was the first EP? Uh, Brian, Brian Fuller. Fuller. He wanted to wanted go there sooner. Much sooner. Yeah. 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 yeah As a matter of fact, I was listening. I was listening to you say that in the supermarket while I was shopping yesterday, Rick. So <laughs> you did say it. Last <laughs> yeah, I think he was. I think he wanted to go there, like in the fourth or fifth episode. You know, re- like really soon in this in the season. And that probably spend more of the season there than they did. Um, yeah, I think that would have been a mistake. Because I think the way that they did it, uh, letting us get to know the characters a little bit better, made it that much more compelling when we started to see mirror versions of these characters and, and things like that. So, yeah. um, Okay, so um, after they get to Starbase 1 and it's been taken over by House Tagore, um, 80,000 lives are gone... Uh, Cornwall freezes and and Cyril orders him and orders him to warp. Well, then Cornwall goes to visit Laurel and asks her basically, "What's it going to take to end this war?" And Laurel tells her, "The war is not going to end. You know, we the Klingons have tasted your blood, and and, and unless you conquer us, you know, we're gonna we're gonna keep on beating you." <laughs> basically, I, I I loved that line: "Conquer us, or we will never relent." Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was probably the, uh, I'm going to say tied for the best scene of the episode. Since there was so much exposition, you got to choose which exposition you found really compelling. And I thought that that was equal to one other scene as the highlight of the show. I don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of... I don't know if you want. I'm I'm kind of teeter tottering because the storyline with the war and everything is compelling, but at the same time we know how we know how the war ends. We know that the Federation wins, and that eventually there's peace between the Federation and the and the Klingons. So when they when she said that, I was like, well, yeah, but that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna be <laughs> they're gonna beat you. Well, no, uh, Sean, I don't know that you can say that we know the Federation wins. We know that there's detente. We know that there's the establishment of a neutral zone. Yeah, that's not a victory. Yeah, the war ends. We yeah. don't know if anyone <laughs> wins because what the 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 actual final end of hostilities was imposed on both factions by the Organians. 
Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> in the original series, yeah. But they were very loosey-goosey about that uh, yeah. after the fact. It was a good one-off kind of idea, but they rarely ever brought it up again yeah. in the original series. Maybe maybe two more times just to pay lip service to it. Mm-hmm. You know, There was even one of the novels um, mentioned the Organian Peace Treaty, and Kirk said something to the effect, well, if they're still around, nobody's heard from them, so... You know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um hold on a second. I mean I was I was writing the John while you were talking. No, it's all right. Um, um can I well do you want me to, to take it from Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. The other scene that I thought was equal to that one between Laurel and uh Cornwall was the one between Sarek and Giorgio about yeah. Michael. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one, and I thought Sarah came off as as just badass in that. Oh yeah, you know, be, like, like Vulcan badass, but but badass none, nonetheless. You know, he schooled her. I loved it. Oh yeah, yeah. At man, the beginning of, of that laugh, conversation, they were, they were getting into a "my Michael is better than your Michael." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> argument. My, my wife, my wife turned to me and went, "Mine's bigger than you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean that that was a real standout for me, and maybe it's because I found, oh, it's a scene with Giorgio, and I'm actually engaged. Maybe that just had something to do with it. I don't know, but uh, well, they yeah, because uh, I mean it's 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 frustrating because I do love Michelle Yeoh's work, and you know she is a more than competent actor, uh, and yeah, little moments like that, she's just brilliant. I think some of the 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 one on one conversations with her and and uh, Burnham. Uh, with Sinequa Martin Green are good too. It's just the you know yeah, like you said the whole the whole absence of of really being af- afraid of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, so they they come up with a plan that they want to attack all the defenses on the Klingon homeworld at once. Uh, they actually plan to use the spore drive to jump inside the planet and map the surface from the inside out. Uh, but first. A side quest <laughs> because they have to go to the Veda system, uh, where they're going to terraform a desolate moon because because they can do that. I don't know because last week they were like, "Oh, we're almost out of spores. I don't know if we're going to have enough spores to do this." And I was like, "Well, if you could terraform a moon in fifteen minutes, then <laughs> why didn't you do yeah, that?" That was that what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it take generations to terraform a world? I'm unless you have the gen- unless you have the Genesis weapon. <laughs> exactly, and uh, you know that's thirty, forty years away. Right. So, <laughs> well, they didn't so much terraform it as just super spore it. Well, he I called. Mean, I, I mean, he, he was calling it. Terraforming. I know they yeah. they did say terraforming, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, we've we have not said this all along. And I've kind of come to come to terms with it because otherwise the whole show is going to piss me off. But this whole mushroom spore mycelial network thing has never really worked for me anyway. Uh, it it's it's a little too close to space magic for my liking in Star Trek. Uh, so the fact that they could go, oh well, we're all out of spores until we're not. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, we've certainly seen worse contrivances in Star Trek, so I'm, I'm kind of willing to give it a pass. Yeah, I did love the 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 sequence of the 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 launching the things and then going down to the planet and 
and the the shooting into the soil yeah. and the em bursts and i have no idea what any of it was doing but it looked really cool <laughs> it was pretty baller wasn't it <laughs> yeah i put in my notes i, I put planet terraform accomplish unlocked <laughs> so they um so they they i mean they did what they what they wanted to do they terraform terraformed the planet they got basically an endless supply of spores now <laughs> now can you guys reconcile that that cavalier attitude with quote terraforming that planet at the you know at the drop of a hat with Carol Marcus saying there can't be so much as a microbe on the planet's surface otherwise the deal is off and is that a kinder gentler starfleet yeah post war in the future i think that we're what we're seeing what the, what they're trying to say is you know we're seeing desperate measures uh, you know they are they are you know this close to being snuffed out and so, uh, while I don't think the crew is going to be as interest as willing to go as far as obviously Cornwell is, uh, mm. you know, I think we're going to see. It. <laughs> you know, I don't. I... But you know, that being the case, I wish they just would have gone a little bit more DS nine on that. And oh, there's there's a colony on that planet. Maybe it's thirty people. Then we get into the whole insurrection thing. But I. I just think it, it again. It could have been more compelling. It could have been more of that that sort of that Star Trek ideal dilemma that you could face. And again, this this goes to something I want to discuss a little later in the show, but just another missed opportunity to have some some actual Star Trek style drama. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know what I what I was trying to to formulate the words for is this feels like, even though this is a 15 episode season, this feels like we're getting into that tried and true Star Trek trope of, uh, if we, if we compare this 15 episode season to a 42 minute long episode, we've spent 14 episodes or, you know, 40 minutes setting up the problem. And now we're going to use the last episode or the last two minutes to solve it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, and yeah, they pretty much did. I mean, there was never any real drama there. I mean, they just, they went and they put the spores on the planet. They grew spores, you know, it's done. <laughs> now right, I do get right. the impression that Stamets has had this plan in mind for a long time because he knew exactly where he wanted to go and he knew exactly how to do it. He even said that it was the other guy, I guess it was the head scientist who got twisted in episode three or four or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Said he put he he, he put the quash on it. He didn't want them to go wild. Like, why wouldn't you want to have a whole planet full of the one resource you need to make your grand experiment work? That's because show, Sean. That is yeah. that's just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, you've got you know? this. You've got this magic engine that takes a certain kind of fuel, and you know, we can have all these uh, episodes where the the main plot point is, uh, well, we don't have enough fuel. It's kind of like you know the fact that they have in the next generation and 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 Voyager and all those. How many times could the entire plot uh, be finished just by using the transporter? Well, they have to make sure the transporter doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, that, well, that's like in Voyager. There was an episode where they were they were out of deuterium, and they had to find deuterium where they were, you know, they were dead in the water. And I've got a book right next to me called the Starfleet, the Star Trek: The Next Generation Technical Manual, uh, which was written by Rick Sternbach and uh, and Michael Okuda. 
So it's it's more or less considered canon, although it gets way, way more intense than they would ever do on a show. Yeah. Um, the reason they chose deuterium as the matter fuel for starships is because it's an isotope of the single most abundant element in the fucking universe. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's an isotope you know, you know, there's, there, there is no hydrogen in the Delta Quadrant. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> What did you guys think of I, the of the of the scene between uh, Michael and Sarek? The hallway scene. In the hallway, yeah. I really liked it. Um, again, because Sarek came alive as a character for me. I mean, we we've come to expect that Michael is going to be cagey and I guess worry of any kind of contact. And it was nice to see her let her guard down with Tyler, but you knew that this was going to, you know, put put those Vulcan walls right back up. More Vulcan than Vulcan. And you got to see Sarek, and this is the way they portrayed Sarek sometimes in some of the novels, and just sort of that that Vulcan serenity. It's it's not so much a shunning of emotion. It's it's controlling your emotions. And for him to say to her, you know, you're human, your mother is human, don't ever be sorry that you love somebody. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me, is more quintessentially Vulcan. That's why Kirk can say, of all the souls I've encountered in the universe, his was the most human. Because it, it's not so much that they eschew emotions, they just got, you know, they got it hacked. They got it handled. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's a really healthy perspective that Sarek tries to give her and it shows you how much she fundamentally misunderstands what it is to be Vulcan because she's not. Yeah. And then when he puts his he puts his hand on her shoulder, I was like, Well, that's a very un Vulcan thing to do. <laughs> they don't normally well, I thought that too, but it it's his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and we you know, we have it Sarek is you know, he like you said, more Vulcan than Vulcan. Uh, I know you were you were meant, you were referring to Bill about that, but you know, every time we've seen Sarek in an official capacity, he you know he has always been the the dispassionate Vulcan. Um, but he even says in Star Trek Three, his logic is uncertain where his children are concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it was his uh, son. Yeah, but you know, we we can. I, I think <laughs> they're extrapolating that, right? from that. Um, it's funny you said that line just as it was going through my head too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I they're they're obviously riffing on that, and there's there's nothing. You know, this is an established character trait of Sarek. I I did think it it was the Vulcan equivalent of an emotional outburst, though, and I think that maybe the events we're about to see unfold may push him back inside his shell a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, what what I loved about it was, number one, they didn't go in for the hug, which you knew, we, you know, any yeah. other show would have done that. And yeah. it's a testament to, you know, some at least some of the writers really get it because they wouldn't have hugged. But the fact that Sarek was the one to initiate sort of that special goodbye was as close as you're going to get to him saying, I'm scared. Yeah. And I thought it came through beautifully within the, you know, perfectly keeping within the character. Yeah. The What's the guy's name? No, uh, it's not Rain. Um, James Frain. 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 Yeah. He he is just nailing Sarek. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was I was 
skeptical when they said Sarek was going to be a character. Uh, you know, I'm always a little worried when someone else is playing an established character. Uh, but, you know, they've proven me wrong with the Harry Mud the, and, and with Sarek. They, they both just uh, really... They, they didn't... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't think they proved you wrong with Harry Mud. but go ahead. You, you didn't like Rain as, as Mud? That's the show I wanted to be on the most. I fucking hated Ray Wilson as much. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm, I'm curious why. Um, number one, they turned him into a remorseless murderer. Um, nah, I'm not a huge Rain Wilson fan. I don't dislike him, but I don't especially like him. And there's that certain swagger and um, that, that, the the original series mud had that made him much more appealing this was just a snake um mm. the way he was written and the way rain wilson played him and i don't think that 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 fundamental humor to the character was there like mud on the original scenario mud on the original series was a rogue and a charming rogue but this mud had no charm at all and given to you know murderous histrionics is that the word i'm looking for hysteria i don't know (laughs) but and i also had a huge 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 problem with the time loop episode um partly because those stories have their own inherent flaw that kind of story i just i I find it hard to believe and um mainly because of what they did to mud in that episode just turning him into uh just a remorseless murderer and also a huge missed opportunity. That episode should have been told from the point of view of Stamets. You know why? Because he was the only one living outside of that loop. Mm. And it was ridiculous to have Michael, because no matter how many times the loop starts, Michael has to start from square one. Mm -hmm. But the story and the audience expectation demand that she become as emotionally invested as you are by the third act. So they conveniently forget that it's fresh for her every time. And she should only be able to get so far before the loop resets. No, it's just the loop resets and she is just determined to get, you know. Mm, right. to, 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 so it's it's a flaw in both the structure of that kind of story and in the writing of that episode. Imagine if you had seen Stamets disconnected from time and the way he perceived that entire thing. That would have been mind-blowing. And I think that they should have really focused on that. But... You know, you got to have Sonequa in, in, in the front, I guess. And that's fine. She's the star of the show. But missed opportunity, in my opinion. And just hated what they did with the Mud character. That's inherent with, uh, with, with any time loop story. Because there's only so many times that you can go through the time loop without having one of the characters at least either figure out what's going on or... Or whatever, and just basically, you have to write them as though they're not being affected anymore, <laughs> or, yeah, else, well, or else you'll never yeah. get to the end of the episode. <laughs> and that's it. And that's usually why these time loop stories are told from the point of view of somebody actually living through it and realizing what's happening. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's the only way to propel the story forward. You know what I mean? So, well, Michael tells Ash that uh, he should have come to her as soon as he started to to break, and he says he he doesn't know who he is anymore, and. And she's letting her prejudice against the Klingons cloud her judgment. And uh, she says that she can't put behind her the fact that he tried to kill her. So pretty much tells him that, um, you know, it's over. Uh, and they, they're not going to be now, Well, hang on. Let's not, let's not gloss over this scene. This was, this was a big scene. Yeah, it was a big scene. Um, 
I, you know, I never related more to Ash than in this scene because, uh, especially the second time I watched it, because she finally goes to him, and it's the only thing he wanted. And then he, you know, he takes one step towards her, and she takes two steps back, and he realizes this isn't going to go well. And she starts starts in on him, you know, with the, the you, you lied to me. And he just lashes back mm-hmm. with an almost a non sequitur argument. Um, and it reminded me of more than one breakup I've had where I was being broken up with, where I was like, all right, I've got justification for being mad. I'm going to say something angry and then immediately realized it was the exactly worst wrong thing to say. Um, and uh, even though it was so factually, factually true and on the nose. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and, and she just reacted like she'd been slapped and, and you could see that the act, you know, uh, Martin Green's acting in this is beautiful because you could see, you know, you could see that look on her face of, I'm going to turn around and walk out, but no, you're not getting off that easy. Uh, and then, and just the, the progression of that whole argument slash discussion slash end of their relationship, at least as far as, you know, right now, uh, was so real. You know, I've been in that argument. Granted, I've never been a, you know, Klingon agent, (laughs) (laughs) nor have I ever tried to kill a girlfriend, but, um, you know, there was nothing that felt, you know, even though like that opening salvo on its surface seemed totally bizarre that, that Ash would lash out like that, uh, because he wants her back. You know, if, if you've been there, you know how that feels. And it just, it was so honest in a situation that is very often contrived on TV. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it had ended with them crying in each other's arms, I would have been like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, with what I liked about it is that Ash wasn't um, he, he wasn't begging her to take him back. I mean, he, mm. he sort of was, but it wasn't just him being a doormat. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what made that scene so dynamic, because otherwise it really would have been a her being self-righteously justified in hating him and him being please forgive me and that would have stunk on ice mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm really glad that they they sort of did that twist and it's another one of the scenes that stood out and especially for acting with both of them there's something inherently likable about um what's what's i forget his name i want to say javadic wall but it's not (laughs) (laughs) his alter ego but he's just something about him on screen makes him likable and it's whenever he's in the tyler character i just immediately cotton to him so i liked the fact that he stood his ground even though she's right i mean the last time i saw you you had your hands on my throat and you were going to murder me Mm -hmm. and he's just like yeah well you know sorry um (laughs) you're not blameless here either um even though she is (laughs) but i just i i found it a much better way to go rick i think you're 100 percent right on that if i had to guess I think that this will be one of the main storylines that's going to continue on into the season two. Unless they surprise me next next episode and kill Ash, which I don't think they will. I think that he's going to I think that he's going to be a character in season two. 
I don't think that this storyline is going to be resolved next next episode. I think it's going to be one of the things that continues on. Yeah. Uh, well, I think one of the strongest things about that scene was when Burnham walked away, I didn't sense that the door had closed at all. I sensed the fact that she had something to think about and she was actually more compelled than she would have been had it been written in a different way. Yeah. I, I don't think they ended the relationship in any way in that. I think that they just brought it to a different place. Yeah, yeah. I think she I think she just basically she was telling him it's over, but you, you know, it We've all been in re- in relationships where we we say things, <laughs> we say it's over, uh-huh. but it's not over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the whole scene was just like, uh, you tried to kill me, and he's just like laying down the vok fu, and she walks away like I can't even. <laughs> the vok fu <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. Right. Well, uh, Cornwall decides that their best bet to beat the Klingons is to do it the Emperor's way. So she dresses up the Emperor as Georgiou and passes her off as a POW that they rescued. And Georgiou takes command of the Discovery as credits roll. That, I did not expect that. I did not expect for them to take the Emperor and try and pass her off as Georgiou because who knows what she's going to (laughs) do. They're putting her in command of the ship, which I know Cornwall is really is really uh, considers herself to be pulling the strings. I don't think the emperor believes anybody's pulling her strings. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering well, about that myself, but Rick, you, you go first, I guess. I, I think it's, it's clear that uh, both Cornwell and Sarek, although I'm, I'm a little, I mean, we, we've seen that Sarek has a, a, uh, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out attitude when it comes to the Klingons anyway. Um, I, it, it, it feels to me like what they're saying is, all right, we put her in the captain's chair when the genocide is over, our hands are clean. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Hmm. I I don't know about that because they're the one that, that, that put her there. I was just thinking of it from a logical story writing point of view is, you're going to need her in the captain's seat because she's the one who can anticipate what they might find on Kronos. And there is no other way, since they're burying the knowledge of the mirror universe, than to have this elaborate fabrication. So oh, she's got to be Captain Giorgio. There's just no, no way around it if they're going to have her out on point on this mission. I didn't ever even consider the whole let the blame lie at her feet aspect of it until now. And that's kind of compelling. Not very Starfleet. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I was saying desperate measures We're we're seeing, there's been some discussion online about whether or not Cornwell is a quote unquote, bad Merle. Um, Aren't they all bad Merle's in Star Trek? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she is. I think she is a very competent leader who has been pushed beyond her breaking point. Um, and apparently Sarek thinks so as well, because he has convinced her that whatever they've got in mind, which we see in the, in the coming attractions has really pissed off Burnham, uh, is, is the necessary step. Now, why they think they can obliterate the Klingons from inside of Kronos, who knows? Um, no, that's not, that's, that's not what they said they were going to do. They're going inside Kronos to map the surface. That's what the emperor told uh, uh burnham yeah true 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you can spore drive into the heart of a planet, you can just pull a freaking Nero on them and, you know, implode the core. Yeah. And spore drive out. So why why bother with, with the whole rigmarole of we're going to be doing cave jumping, subterranean cave jumping? Yeah. And um, we know that's not going to happen because Kronos is still there. <laughs> Late in in later in later uh, season in later shows. So unless they're gonna pull a JJ and make this an, another alternate <laughs> timeline no, or something like that. The, the the writers were were again point blank asked on Twitter last week: Is this in the Prime Universe that we know with Kirk and Spock and everything that we're used to? And they said yes. Yeah, okay. And to me, that's exciting. It, it opens yeah. up storytelling possibilities because you know that they can't destroy uh, the Klingon homeworld. So what does happen here? And I'm curious to see. I mean, just because I know what isn't going to happen doesn't mean I know what is going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I'm excited to see where they take it because on the surface, it, it, it it's a very interesting premise to me. If you don't get too far into the weeds of fandom, it's like a, a starship jumping through subterranean caverns. Um, can Stamets even pull that off? You know, and it's 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 almost like Riker with the Pegasus. It's very intriguing. Yeah. On is this tech gonna work? And I, I'm excited anyway to see where they bring that. I hope they bring that to a satisfying conclusion or at least a compelling sort of set piece for that whole idea. I would be very disappointed if they kind of nipped it in the bud before they were even able to get to Kronos because I want to see that. Well, we saw in the coming attractions the the discovery in a cavern. So oh, okay. I turned it off um, because I didn't want to see any spoiler coming attractions, Rick. But, oh, sorry. Uh, I know, like, like <laughs> no, it's okay. You said it last week. You're on a podcast talking about this stuff. You don't have the luxury of avoiding spoilers. Yeah. You know. Now, what so, I would what what would be hilarious is you know a thousand years from now a Klingon archaeological archaeological expedition breaks through this cavern and finds this derelict ship, and they get inside, and they find the crew had eaten each other. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere, you know, just a little ways away is Data's head. Right. <laughs> That's one thing that occurred to me uh, as I was watching the end of the episode. Um, all of the Klingons that we've met before are all gone. All the all the Klingons that we that we met in the first couple of episodes, they're all dead. That, I mean, they like Kor and his ship... All exploded. So any of the Klingons that actually physically saw Giorgio should be gone. Because what I was thinking was when we she, when she shows up to Kronos, there's going to be somebody there that was like eating her, <laughs> and they're going to know that that's not really her. But then it occurred to me, well, no, all those Klingons are all dead. So well, even even if they're not, you know, just because if you know if maybe they got a finger or two doesn't mean they'd recognize the corpse they were chewing on. Yeah. And if they do, that's like worthy of a Klingon opera. She'd be epic. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys have? Anything it, else you want to add before we, yeah, uh, it, it's pronounced Kalis, not Kalark. <laughs> I, I can't stand that. Is, does that take you out of the story every time? Yeah. They, Is that just it, me? <laughs> no, nah, it, it, uh, the the Klingon pronunciation has kind of morphed over over time, but I, I you know I, I like the accuracy with which they're they're pronouncing everything. Um, I don't know if y'all ever had it. I had the the uh, I didn't buy it. It was given to me by a friend, a, a girlfriend. The, the Klingon dictionary that Mark I have I have out. the first I have the first edition. 
Oh, and when then, it came out as part of the Star Trek uh, paperback novel. So, yeah. And a girlfriend mm-hmm. didn't give it to me. I bought it myself. <laughs> I had it, but I never... Hence, hence why I didn't have a girlfriend to give it to me. <laughs> I had it, but and I, then was I, never, had... I was never uh, smart enough to actually learn the languages. <laughs> and well, also, I... I was I was just buying the books at that point. I don't know if I've ever opened it, to be honest with you. It's still on my shelf. Well, and then uh, uh, some uh, students of mine gave me the book tape of it and it, it's it's called conversational klingon and it's not exactly a, the the audiobook of the klingon dictionary uh it's just kind of an audiobook based on it and it's narrated by michael dorn and it is it is some really classic fan service cheese if you can ever get your hands on it <laughs> um it's embarrassing <laughs> but but it does go heavily into proper Klingon pronunciation, and they are really nailing it on this show. But it doesn't sound conversational at all, and it's it's uh, so yeah, it, it does kind of pull me out a little bit when they say Kalish. Um, what let me let me ask you, uh, especially Chris, I'm uh, Sean. I'm not I I don't know if this would even register to you. Um, and that's not in any way a, a, a dig. <laughs> it might even it be way. a compliment. Let's um, see what he asks. Did the fake handheld camera stuff when Giorgio and Burnham were talking bother you? I didn't even notice it, but I was a big fan of NYPD Blue back in the day when they pioneered that. So, okay, it, it, it doesn't. The crap yeah, out of me. That shaky cam stuff, I barely even register it now. Actually, I notice steady cam more than I notice shaky cam. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Um, they uh, I just don't. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, they, they try to incorporate some elements from the uh, Abrams movies into this show because, believe it or not, there are people out there that are Star Trek fans that have never seen anything other than this show and those three movies. Heresy! I, I know. <laughs> there are. I'm jealous. Look at all they have to look forward to. Most of, yeah. them, most of them are very young, you know, in their 20s or whatever. But... Um, they didn't want those people to come in to watch this show and not have anything that they didn't recognize, you know, not have anything that they recognized. So, um, so they added some lens flare in the first couple of, epi- of episodes and that's let up. They haven't done that a lot since then, but those first couple of episodes, there was a lot of lens flare and, and then stuff like that. Like what you were just talking about shaky cam kind of stuff because they did that a lot in those movies. So, so that's their way of doing a little bit of fan service just to the fans that only know Star Trek from those from those films. I, I don't mind the idea of it. It just it was so no cameraman worth his salt would have been that shaky. <laughs> Even if I'll have to watch it again just, and see if it angers me now. <laughs> I hope I don't ruin it. Oh no, they they shake know. yeah, they shake when they do stuff like that, like like what Chris was talking about, NYPD Blue, they did they shook it more on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they said, shake they, it more, shake it more. Yeah. yeah, they thought they had to. They had to make it look more realistic by shaking the camera around. So, but I mean, that that was. I mean, I guess um, you could go into the influence of cops on that. With that was such a smash hit for Fox, and most of it was cameramen running after cops, running after perps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that they wanted to get that immediacy in NYPD Blue, which is why some of the some of the scenes give you a whiplash, especially the establishing shots. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it's been done so, so much now, it's almost de rigueur, I don't, I don't really notice it that much anymore. 
it's just it's it's now just part and parcel. It's it's sort of woven into the way we we consume TV at this point. Kind of like Bullet mm. Time, you know, when, when they did Bullet Time in the Matrix, it was revolutionary. Now it's right. standard. <laughs> you know, yeah. now it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I ask you guys one thing? And this is I I was alluding to this before, but uh, Sean, do we have uh, five more minutes just to yeah. geek out a tiny bit? Yeah, go ahead. I was watching Armand Bashir, uh, DS9 episode, which is basically a hollow, a hologram episode, a holodeck episode. The James Bond and thing. The James Bond one. It was Bashir yeah. and Garrick with Bashir's alter ego um, on the holodeck, and they, they, you know, some, some way they contrived that all of the main characters were stuck in a transporter beam and they got beamed onto the holo, the holodeck because it was the only matrix that could hold their personalities before they could rematerialize. All right. All right. So they were playing these characters, and it was just a, like a like a really cool, goofy episode. And I thought to myself, you know, we're so used to now TV seasons being ten or twelve or thirteen episodes long that you just don't have the time to do episodes like that. And I, are we missing something these days in this current TV environment? Because I know a lot of the episodes are padding in, in that whole 22, 24, sometimes 26 episode seasons. But at the same time, I think without those kinds of long seasons, you never would have gotten something like Sitting on the Edge of Forever. You never would have gotten Trouble with Tribbles or Trials and Tribulations. And yeah. I was thinking about that because I was trying to – this is how, what a geek I am. I was watching Trials and Tribulations, and I said, wouldn't it be great if I could – mash this together with the original series Trouble with Tribbles. So I was literally on Netflix going back and forth between each series <laughs> as the scenes were changing to try to juxtapose it. And I said, somebody had to have done this online and just made a mashup. I couldn't find it, though. So I'm putting the call out to anyone out there. But when I was talking about the, the dilemma that they might have faced on the Spore Planet before, um, just terraforming that and just the ethical ramifications of that, that would have been a full episode. Mm-hmm. of next gen or maybe even the original series i'm not sure about the original series but um but the fact that they had to gloss over it because story 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 we got to wrap this up we got to go we got to go Do you, are, are we missing something that's inherent to star trek are we missing something that that makes trek trek I mean, arguably, without a 26-episode season, you wouldn't have had something like Far Beyond the Stars, mm-hmm. yeah. which everybody, you know, points as like the pinnacle of DS9. Yeah. So I, I, I'd be curious to know what you guys think of this. Well, we, we've just got it's, – it's a, it's a standard of, of modern television for everything to be shorter now. I don't, I don't know if it's because they want to take the same budget that they would normally spend on 26 episodes – and just make 13 really good episodes instead of, you know, having a few filler episodes. Because if you think about it, if you make 10 filler episodes a season, three of them are going to be good filler episodes. <laughs> and the rest of them are just going to be, you know, there. Uh, that's when that's when you get episodes that have, like, their musical episodes and things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, and you're not wrong with that. I just feel like... But, you know, you're so constrained now, there's just no way to take, like, a flight of fancy. There's no way to, to pose a what-if scenario that could bring you something incredible. Well, I think we saw – I think you're right. I, I agree that there is, I, you know, there is, something, there is something lost in having these uh, very short seasons. Um, 
but also that's kind of the way the, the, the world has evolved or the, the, the viewing public has evolved. You know, in my life, I've seen movies go from uh, two, two and a half hour long kind of explorations of stuff to, uh, you know, back in the in the in the 80s, maybe the early 90s, you were getting down to less than 90 minutes for a feature yeah. film. And yeah, 86 they, minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the time started creeping up again, and then you hit, like, Chariots of Fire, which is almost three freaking hours long. You know, it, the, the, the attention span of the public kind of fluctuates. Um, I think maybe, hopefully, we're hitting sort of the low end with these 10 to 12 to 15 episode seasons. Um, and then, you know, maybe things will start lengthening again i don't know it's it's hard to say with the you know the netflix mentality now of you know i want it all and i want it right now you know the fact that this is coming out weekly is ruffling feathers um you know look at at how many people complained about magics to make the the mind go numb or whatever the hell it was uh, not <laughs> and apparently I'm, I'm one of them i'm right there well, on the, uh, on the not, forefront not, not necessarily from a from a, a you know the whether you liked the, the story or not, it was, if you're like, that, that, that didn't do anything to further the storyline. Why was it there? You know, that I was hearing a lot of that. I kind of enjoyed it for the fact that it was like, oh, we could take a breather yeah. and just sort of enjoy this as silly as this series is going to get episode. Um, and, and we got a similar thing with the, the, the one on Pavo, what I forget the title, all these titles are really bizarre. Um, where it was the first time they went to another planet, and it was kind of, sort of, a self-contained episode. Very next um, Jenny, very next Jenny episode. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah. And and again, some people were like not pleased with this diversion from the main drive of the story. And I, you know, that one kind of confuses me because if you look at the opening uh, animation, the credits, the Pav and crystals are all, are all over the place floating around the ship and the, and yeah, the stuff. I, I, I don't know if I buy um, your your idea that everything we see in the credits is going to somehow be relevant in the series. I think that that's just a neat sort of production art sketchbook that we're yeah, seeing. I, it's almost like the extras that you get at the at the hardbound volumes of comic books that you buy. Yeah, that's a good point. It just, it I mean, just that's, that's the way I look so at many it. Of them. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, even then, they're, they're inconsistent because there's that great shot of the TOS phaser kind of explodes and then comes back as the discovery phaser, but then we see a TOS enter, uh, communicator and it explodes and doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. And how come nobody uses phaser one in this show? I want to see phaser one on the series finale. Uh, that would be cool. I love the phaser ones. <laughs> it's also kind of a kind of a thing for cable television uh, that I think that they kind of started this trend of doing the shorter seasons because they want to be able to put more shows out. So if you've got a prime slot of Monday nights at 10, 9 central, uh, you put some of your best shows, like you've got Better Call Saul, you put that on there for 10 episodes. Well, then when it's over, you can put something else in that same spot and you can just keep doing that throughout the year. You know, you can, you can have, you can show five seasons of various shows in that one time slot throughout the year. And uh, mm. so I think that they're, that that's the thinking that Discovery is a different animal because the, the entire thing is online. So you've got the same thing as uh, 
what you've got with Netflix. Netflix does these shorter seasons because they know that everybody that people are going to watch this all in one sitting. Uh, Star right. Trek, Star Trek, right. we're watching it week by week, so it doesn't really work the same way. But they're still kind of treating it the same way. Well, you know what just occurred to me, and I, I have absolutely no idea whether this is relevant or not anymore. Um, you know, it used to be that 100 episodes was the magic number to syndicate a show. Uh, you know, you need if you had you needed a hundred episodes to be able to right to, uh, to make a, it to make it pay to have exactly, a package to make, that you could to sell money. to into syndication. Yep, and I, I does, don't think that's true anymore because yeah. you see things they're in their second season and they're already showing up on second market. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, because they know that it's it's all going to be online anyway. You know, if if I've got two seasons of scandal, you know, and it's been this huge show that our Grey's Anatomy or something like that, that has been this huge show that people watch. Do I really want to wait until it's four or five seasons in to start making more money off of it when it's all going to be on Netflix anyway, you know? So, so yeah, we'll go ahead and start making money and we'll start putting it on every night at 1030. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I mean, Rick, you're, you're absolutely right because that used to be like the fifth season, hundredth episode that used to be the magic number and it's just like, Oh, we can finally sell the syndication rights. We're all going to be billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I, yeah, I think that, 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 that model has shifted, but I mean, I, I guess maybe that's what we're talking about. Just like sort of the shifting models of the way we watch TV. And I think like you were talking about better call Saul, Sean, yeah. or even like breaking bed or even think of like the walking dead. It's such a simple premise that all of those shows are basically character studies. Mm-hmm. Even though they have through lines and plot lines, they're really all about the characters interacting with with the situations that they're in on a very personal level. Um, this is a much Star Trek Discovery is a much more action oriented show and a much more plot driven show. And I just feel like we're missing some of that deeper character work that we got out of um, most of Star Trek up until this point, whether it was very good or very bad. I mean, it, they did it very badly. In a lot of shows too, and I mean to to the show to the to the franchise's detriment. That's kind of what killed Star Trek on TV to begin with. But I, I just feel like we could find that middle ground again. And maybe I just miss DS Nine too much. I don't know. <laughs> I I I would like to see a much lighter show in the second season because as much as I'm enjoying Discovery, it is exhausting. Um, you know when I think about you know what you're saying i'm i'm actually kind of looking forward to the season finale to sort of take a breather which i've never felt before in star trek and it's not that i think the series is bad it's just it's been so uh intense yeah, it's relentless right yeah and you know maybe in season 2 when we're out of the war it would be nice if maybe they did lighten up a bit and and let us have a fun episode from time to time or, you know, maybe get a little more episodic, which I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Um, but it might be nice to see a few self-contained, Hey, let's go find a planet where people are nice to us for a change. Kind of episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much going to do it for this week. Um, if you want to hear us talk about stuff besides Star Trek, then come over to our uh, other podcast over at CosmicPotato.com and you can hear uh, hear us go on and on about some other topics. 
And uh, as far as this show goes, of course, it's available on simplysyndicated.com and all the other usual places, iTunes and Stitcher and all that. Uh, they've got tons of other podcasts over there. And you can sign up to be a Simply Everything subscriber and get access to their entire back catalog, which is hundreds of hours of podcasts for about $8 a month or £6 a month, depending on where you are where you live. Uh, and you can get in touch with us by joining our Facebook group, which is uh, Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. And you, or you can leave us a voicemail or a text message by dialing area code 205-642-8380. And at least one person has done that in the past. <laughs> but, uh, not going to let me make that joke again ever. <laughs> uh, now next week we're gonna we're gonna have our contest. This week I'm going to go through our Facebook, our, our group, and 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 all of our voicemails and our iTunes reviews and emails, and I'm going to gather the names of everyone who has participated in the show. And we're going to give away a prize. Uh, it was going to be a novel, but I think the prize is going to be a Discovery Era Starfleet Insignia pin. So uh, if you want a chance to win that prize, then go over to our Facebook page this week and leave us a message. Or go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you have been a guest host on this season of the show, you are disqualified. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I kind of knew I would be, and I, would, I wouldn't take it. There are much more deserving fans out there. I get to shoot my mouth off. That's, that's reward enough. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be a TMP VHS. <laughs> I have one of those. <laughs> I probably do too. I think I've got all six, all six movies. Yeah, I do right here on my bookshelf. All six movies on VHS. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, Chris, thanks for being here this week. I really appreciate it, Sean. Uh, I'll come back anytime you'll have me. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, you can go to my website, deflipside.com. There you'll find a radio show that I do here on Long Island. My last two episodes were my best reads of 2017, and I just did a small tribute to the memory of Ursula K. Le Guin, one of my favorite authors of all time who recently passed. So uh, you can go there, um, D-E-F-L-I-P-S-I-D-E.com. You'll also find links to my other podcasts and to a whole, whole plethora of geeky nonsense. Alrighty, Rick, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Chris. It's always great to talk to you, sir. You guys too. Um, I, anytime you need someone to just shoot their mouth off for hours on end, you know where to look. <laughs> I have I had one other thing I wanted to plug before we close out, and let me let me pull it up here on my Facebook page because I don't want to get it wrong. Um, okay, friend of the show, Michael Jan Friedman, who is a uh, Star Trek novelist, and he's written uh, comic books for Marvel and DC, done some. Star Wars titles. He wrote an episode of, of Star Trek Voyager and things like that. He is uh, doing a Kickstarter campaign right now for a comic book that he's trying to, uh, to, to start. And it's called Empty Space. And he describes it as being Star Trek mixed with Lost. So uh, basically there's a, if I'm understanding it correctly, there is a, a character that's on a starship, kind of like Star Trek, but he wakes up and he doesn't have any memory of how he got there, and he's the captain, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, I've had that dream. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, so if you uh, if you go to our Facebook group page, I put a link there last week to the Kickstarter campaign, and it would be great if some of our uh, fans, uh, some of our listeners, would go and support him on that, so that he can uh, so that he can get that comic started. Um, but other than that, that's uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the season finale, which is titled. Will you take my hand? And we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.